Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, an oral history of pro and college football. This episode, NFL legend Bill Butler. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, an oral history of pro and college football. The Game Before the Money is now a registered nonprofit. I will give you more information on that in future episodes. And you can also read about it at thegamebeforethemoney.com. My name is Jackson Michael, and today we have stories from NFL legend Bill Butler. Bill was gracious enough to spend a good deal of time chatting with me, and so we'll not only hear from him in this episode, but in future episodes as well. He and his wife also have shared some fantastic pictures with me, so I will post those on thegamebeforethemoney.com. Those will be part of a Bill Butler page that I will post in the football biography section of thegamebeforethemoney.com. Bill Butler is one of those guys who had an amazing place in NFL history in that he played for four different teams in the 1950s and 1960s. There was even a fifth NFL team that he was with for a couple of weeks, and he has a fabulous story about that. Playing with five teams during that period means he mingled and hit the gridiron with many all-time greats. Also, he played for the immortal Vince Lombardi on the 1959 Green Bay Packers in Lombardi's first season as head coach. In 1960, the Dallas Cowboys picked him up in an expansion draft, so he played for the great Tom Landry during the first ever Dallas Cowboys NFL season. He was later traded to the Steelers and wound up on the Vikings roster a year after that. With the Vikings, Bill forced the fumble that Jim Marshall ran the wrong way for a safety. There's a little bit of trivia for you there. You'll, of course, hear more about that story later in this podcast. It's players like Bill Butler that truly are one of my favorite things about this oral history project. They have so many great stories. In fact, I couldn't include them all in this one episode. There will be a few other stories that I'll include in future episodes and on thegamebeforethemoney.com. So you're going to hear a lot of wonderful NFL history on this episode, plus get some firsthand accounts of what it was like to know some of the greatest players and coaches in NFL history and even baseball history, as Butler also knew home run king Hank Aaron and shared a fun memory about him as well. In addition to playing defensive back, Butler led the NFL in punt and kick returns in 1959 and was among the lead leaders throughout his career. He grew up on a farm in rural Wisconsin in a town called Berlin. He ran around the cow pasture with a football as a youngster. He also told his mother that one day he would play for the Green Bay Packers. I had all the time so that I would, but that's what kids do. And I was raised on a farm, and I can even remember going out where the steers and stuff were and dodging cowboys, carrying a football. <laughs> so you'd run between the cows? The cow pies. 
Oh, the cow pies. Okay, yeah. Well, you want to avoid those for sure. Yeah, and they would, I would go at them like it was a person, and then I would plant my foot and go left, right, or whatever I decided to do. Now, for those of you who didn't grow up around a farm, cow pies are cow droppings. Obviously something that you want to avoid. Berlin, Wisconsin is about 75 miles from Green Bay. Bill told us about a Packers game that he went to as a child. I went to a Packer game back when Breezy Reed was playing. And uh, I think his name was Ferguson. And it was at City Stadium. And my dad took us and it cost me 10 cents. Oh, wow. And they passed the hat during the middle of the game. So you could put in a little bit more money to... To help them along. Breezy Reed played for the Packers in the early to mid-1950s before Lambeau Field was built. You can hear stories about that era of Packers history in the Roger Zatkoff episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. That is episode number 22, which coincidentally was Bill Butler's jersey number throughout much of his NFL career. And we'll get to that NFL career here in a moment. Bill's high school, Berlin High School in Berlin, Wisconsin, had a pretty stout team while Bill played. At first, they had a former Chicago Bears player named Wally Dreyer as their head coach. Dreyer left after one year to coach at Milwaukee's Rufus King High School. Bill said that the next coach kept Dreyer's system in place. Berlin dominated their conference in the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, otherwise known as the WIAA. My senior year was the second year that we went undefeated and won the WIAA championship for our conference. They didn't have state championships back then, but in the whole year, now, just take a whole football year. We had 20 points scored against us in a whole year, which is three touchdowns. And one of our backs fumbled the ball in one of the games in a rainstorm, and they recovered it for a touchdown. So basically, we won a whole year and had a team score two times on us. And people in Berlin still talk about it was the greatest football team this town has ever had. Bill played both offense and defense in high school. He said that his coach later coached at Pacific University. When his coach was asked who his greatest player was that he ever coached, he said that it wasn't a college player. He said that it was Bill Butler from Berlin High School. High praise there, but of course, Bill went on to play six years in the NFL. Now, you regular listeners likely know how much I love to hear stories about how people made it to the NFL because it's often against a lot of odds. Sometimes they are cut by several NFL teams, like legendary kicker Mark Mosley described in episode 59 of the Game Before the Money podcast. Sometimes it's a long journey even getting to play college ball. In Bill Butler's case, he kept hearing the same thing over and over from major college football programs. I talked to Ohio State, to Notre Dame, and Wisconsin. And all three told me that I was too small to play at their schools and that 
they were not interested and they wouldn't give me an offer. Bill added that even the coach at UW Oshkosh told him that he didn't think he could play even at that level. In sports and in life, sometimes it takes only one person to believe in you to open a door. That door started to creak open for Bill Butler at the Wisconsin State track meet his senior year in high school. There was a guy who coached at Tennessee where I went to school. He wasn't there when I was there, but he was there prior to me. His, his name is Russ Scale. His dad owned a restaurant in Green Lake, which is six miles from Berlin. And we were running in the state track meet. We had a good relay team, and I played all four sports. So luckily, we got into the state track meet. and. He come up to me after I had run the relay, and he says, Hey, Butts, did you decide where you're going to go to school? And I says, Not really. I talked to the three schools that I wanted to go to, and nobody wants me. So he said, Would you be receptive to going to Tennessee? And I said, I'd go any place if uh, somebody's going to give me a ride to go, because... My dad can't afford to send me. And he said, would they be willing to drive to Chattanooga and to meet with a coach? And I said, sure. Now, coincidentally, Russ Scale is the same person who recruited Rocky Blyer for Notre Dame. You can read Rocky's story about that in the book, The Game Before the Money, available on Amazon.com. Bill told me that he likely wouldn't have gone to college if it weren't for Russ Scales' recruiting efforts. The coach at UT Chattanooga at that time was a man named Scrappy Moore. This guy is beyond legendary on the UT Chattanooga campus. The school's mascot is even named Scrappy. He served as head coach of the Moccasins for 35 years. The AFCA named him Coach of the Year in 1967. The College Football Hall of Fame inducted him in 1980. So Scrappy Moore is even a legend beyond Chattanooga. And he was a legend even by the time Bill Butler arrived to meet him about that potential full-ride scholarship. We met with him and we talked probably three or four hours and had some dinner and stuff. And he says, as far as I'm concerned, it's up to you signed the grant and aid and it's yours room board tuition and anything the alumni wants to give you is fine by me and I signed the grant and aid and I was there 1955 was Butler's freshman year not many college freshmen played varsity football back in those days but Bill Butler did he tells us how he cracked Scrappy Moore's lineup I was not a starter when the season started, but on the first play, the opening kickoff, a guy named Tony Brinkus from Ohio, who was a senior, broke his leg. And Scrappy says, it's on the job training, but get your butt in there. And I never came out in the next four years. There was a stiff learning curve to that on-the-job training for Bill. The mocks lined up against heavily favored Auburn, on the road in week two of the 1955 season. Tennessee Chattanooga shocked the home crowd 
and jumped out to an early lead thanks to a Bill Butler touchdown. Bill tells us a bit about his spectacular 48-yard touchdown reception. I had a very good game against Auburn. As a freshman, I caught a little pass and I outran some big names that I played against in pro ball. Red Phillips was one guy. He was an end with Auburn and all pro in the NFL. Chattanooga eventually lost that game 15-6, to but made a big impression against an Auburn team that eventually finished 8th in the final Associated Press poll. Bill Butler had a big game the next week as well in a 10-0 victory against Southern Miss. The Chattanooga Daily Times review of the game called Bill, quote, the new brag player of the mocks and touted one play in which he dragged several tacklers 10 yards before finally going down. We're talking about a freshman in only his third game here and a guy that people said was too small to play college football. Bill had a tremendous freshman season and UT Chattanooga finished with a 5-4-1 record on the season despite playing some tough teams. College players played both offense and defense in those days. Butler played both running back and defensive back. He said he even made an All-American team that year. Remember how he had written those letters to Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Notre Dame and they all said he was too small to play? Those schools changed their minds quite quickly. I came back after my freshman year and I got a call or a visit from all three of those schools. And Wisconsin offered me a car. This was through an alumni. It wasn't from the school to transfer to Wisconsin. And I looked at my dad and he says, I want to talk to you out in the barn. He was out there and he says, Bill, I don't want to tell you what to do, but where the hell were they when they told you you were too small and you couldn't play in the Big Ten? Now they're here because you did play in the same type of competition in the SEC. He says, do what you think you should do, but he says, I think you owe it to Scrappy and to Tennessee to stay by your commitment. They committed and you, you keep your commitment to them. So I just told uh, three schools that I wasn't interested in talking to them, that I wouldn't transfer under any conditions. Bill returned to Scrappy Moore's program for the 1956 season, his sophomore year. Chattanooga annually played the big state school, the University of Tennessee, in Knoxville. So it was always a road game for the mocks. Butler said that the guaranteed revenue from playing the game in Knoxville basically covered Chattanooga's expenses for the entire season. In 1956, the Mox played well against the Volunteers. Butler had a good game and scored a touchdown. The Knoxville New Sentinel named Bill among two other backs in their summary of the game and called Chattanooga's trio, quote, three of the slickest ball carriers the Vols have attempted to stop this season. One side note to that game, the Knoxville News Sentinel also noted that Johnny Majors missed that game due to injury. A lot of people say that Majors should have won the Heisman that season. I'm not going to enter into that debate, but it is interesting to note that he missed at least one game that season. I will try to do a little bit more research on that aspect of Johnny Majors' 1956 season and post something on thegamebeforethemoney.com if I find out more. Bill Butler had a solid 1956 season 
and so did the UT Chattanooga Moccasins, who again finished a game over 500 that season under Scrappy Moore. Butler scored two touchdowns against Tennessee his junior season, but his senior year of 1958 provided perhaps the most special game of Butler's college career. The Mocs played their annual game at Tennessee on November 8th. I think we beat them 14-6, to if I remember correctly. It was Scrappy's biggest win as a coach. Butler led the team in rushing that day. He also caught three passes for a total of 47 yards. He set up a touchdown on one of those receptions. He tells us about that play and also fills us in on Scrappy Moore's offensive strategy. We used to run, they call it swing and up routes. The pros are doing it now. We did it back then. What you do, you put a wide receiver to the weak side of your backfield, and then I'd come out, and a linebacker would have to cover me. And I would just go right up the sideline and outrun them. And they couldn't keep up with me. And the wide receiver would run a post route across the field and drag that corner and the safety that all he had to do, and it was one-on-one. And I know I caught a long pass, and I was knocked down on a one-yard line. And we scored shortly thereafter. The Knoxville News Sentinel quoted Chattanooga head coach Scrappy Moore as saying it was his finest moment in sports, even finer than when he kicked a game-winning field goal for Georgia to beat Vanderbilt in 1924. Butler added that that game caused quite a stir in Knoxville afterwards. After the game, they had a damn riot. And they had the police there and the goalposts were all ripped out. And we we took a half of a goalpost home on the bus. Oh, wow. But it was quite the game. And there was a lot of dancing and hitting after a lot of fist fights and the whole parking lot was all goofed up. I don't know what the big deal was. Uh, I don't think Tennessee's record that year was the greatest either, so maybe it was just a lot of frustration coming out. That win was a crown jewel of Butler's senior season at Tennessee Chattanooga. He says that Coach Moore gave him the highest praise several years after his college career ended. Yeah, I've got a picture on my wall here in my office and it's quite a compliment. He sent this to me when I was playing pro ball. He says, to Bill Butler, my greatest football player that I've ever coached. And that was after his 37th year as head coach. Turns out that Bill Butler wasn't just a great football player. He was also a great baseball player. While in college, He played for the Chattanooga Lookouts. You might know that now they're a double-A affiliate for the Cincinnati Reds. They were a minor league team back then as well. And you could get in trouble back then if you were a scholarship athlete who also played pro baseball. Listen to this great story Bill's about to tell us about his time with the Lookouts. And the term lookout really applies here. I played a little bit in college under an assumed name till I got caught, and thank God the NCAA didn't get to the game that I was playing in under this false name. 
and the trainer for the team was our trainer at the college team, and he called me and warned me not to go out to the stadium, so I never went. So a close call there for Bill Butler, but he was a good enough baseball player to play minor league baseball while he was in college. Butler told me that he even had a teammate on the Chattanooga Lookouts that ended up having a Hall of Fame baseball career. We had Harmon Killebrew. He hit the ball so hard to left field one time, he hit the arm on the clock, and it actually put a dent in it, and the arm would not turn anymore. They had to fix the clock. I've seen baseballs that he hit in practice that he actually put a dent in them, a little dent. In the ball? In the ball. Butler added that he also saw Henry Aaron dent baseballs when he hit them, and he's going to share another Hank Aaron story with us in a few minutes. Although the Lookouts were a minor league team, they occasionally played against major league competition, and he played against several Yankee stars of the day, including Whitey Ford, Yogi Berra, and Mickey Mantle. You could evaluate yourself after you got done if you could hit their pitching and you could do the fielding and whatever it took. Uh, you had a pretty good gauge, could you play with them? And I was lucky that I did well and I was faster than Mantle. And Mantle was supposed to be the fastest guy in Major League Baseball at that time. After college, young Bill Butler had a decision to make after being drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the 19th round of the 1959 NFL Draft. Imagine being a college graduate and having this lineup of options from which to choose. In the end, after college, I had three contracts on my bed at the same time. One with the Milwaukee Braves, one with the Toronto Argonauts, and of course the one with the Packers. And my dad being a second grade educated guy, he didn't even go to school through high school. Uh, I didn't have anybody to really talk to about what to do. So I picked Green Bay because it was the closest to Berlin of all the places and I knew that I could play with the Braves because they wanted to replace a guy named Billy Bruton or center fielder and I was in a 60-yard dash about one-tenth of a second over the world's record in the 60. So I knew I was fast enough. 1959 was Vince Lombardi's first season as head coach of the Green Bay Packers and Bill Butler's rookie season. Training camp was held in De Pere, Wisconsin at St. Norbert College. Butler met Lombardi and assistant coach Phil Bankston almost immediately when he showed up to Sensenbrenner Hall where the Packers players stayed. Remember how those college teams told Bill that he was too small to play college football? When I reported to Sessenbrenner Hall in De Pere, I walked in the door and then there was a staircase and on the top of it was Phil Bankston and Lombardi. And he looks down at me and I'm starting up the stairs and he says, I told you, Phil, to keep those damn kids out of here. And he says, what are you doing in here? Get the hell out. And I says, well, you drafted me. 
me out I'll go and I turned around he says wait a second he says what do you mean I drafted you I said I got this letter that I'm supposed to report here by two o'clock and here I am and he <laughs> says who are you and I says Bill Butler and he says my god there's nothing to you and I says well I didn't draft me you did and he <laughs> says god I didn't know you were that small he just looked at Phil and he says Phil, keep the kids out, and he walked off. But I thought, boy, that's a good education. Probably not the best way to start off your working relationship with Vince Lombardi, although Butler handled it well. Now, many of you listeners know that this program is called The Game Before the Money because it documents the players who made the game great in the days before multi-million dollar paychecks. Bill is going to share a story about his first paycheck from the Green Bay Packers, and it was even less than he expected. I got my first exhibition check. They used to pay you $50 a game. That was supposed to support if you were married and had a family and stuff. That was supposed to keep you alive for a week. And I see there's money out of it for a bus ticket. And I looked at Lombardi and I took that paycheck. I said, what is this? Uh, I didn't take a bus. I drove my car. And he said, we sent you a letter and saying we will provide transportation. And I said, that's all right. I provided my own. He says, you didn't inform us about it. You're paying for the bus ticket because we bought it. You could have used it and you didn't. So I had to pay for my own transportation there. That wasn't the only time that Coach Lombardi gouged Bill Butler's paycheck that season. The Packers played at Milwaukee County Stadium against the Chicago Bears. One of Butler's baseball friends was at that game, Milwaukee Braves outfielder Henry Aaron. Henry Aaron was actually quite a big football fan and attended this preseason game on a rainy night. The story might land in the no good deed goes unpunished file folder. I knew Henry pretty good when he was playing with the Milwaukee Braves and he would come to the Packers exhibition game and I gave him my raincoat. We were playing the Bears in County Stadium and he was getting drenched and I gave him my rubber jacket and he took it and never gave it back to me and Lombardi charged me for the jacket and I said Henry I ain't had it and he says then go get it from Henry (laughs) so I paid for Henry Aaron's jacket (laughs) wow so a couple of bumpy moments with Coach Lombardi at the start of Bill's young NFL career despite that he did make the Packers in 1959 and only a couple of other draft picks made the team one being Boyd Dowler, who was Bill's roommate. You can hear stories from Boyd Dowler about his life and career in episode number 38 of the Game Before the Money podcast. Now, Butler found out that he made the team in a most unusual way. Lombardi told him that he made the team earlier than one might expect to be told. The news came with a caveat, however. Wait till you hear this story. Vince Lombardi called me into his office after probably half of the exhibition season was over, and he used to call me Butts. He says, Butts, 
you're going to make my team. He says, but you are going to do me a favor. He says, I need to release you, and the New York Giants are going to pick you up. And I said, what the hell is that all about? And he says, I'm going to tell you, and this cannot be talked about. He says, the rules are, if you're a veteran and you have played for, say, the Green Bay Packers, and they trade you to the Bears, you cannot trade that player, if he's a veteran, from the Bears back to the Packers. they got to go with the interim team. He said, there's a guy that the Cardinals have that they're going to cut or send trade him to me. We're going to have him on our squad for two weeks. Now, the New York Giants want him back. That's where he came from. So he had to go from New York to the Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals are going to trade him back to Green Bay, and Green Bay was going to trade him to New York. Now, you got to understand the reason it was between Green Bay and New York. That's where Lombardi came from. So Lombardi is doing a favor for his old friends at the New York Giants, where he was an assistant coach before coming to Green Bay. If you listen to the show regularly, you can probably guess that I was going to try to find out who that particular player was that the Giants wanted back. And it appears to have been Dick Nolan. Dick Nolan, who later became head coach of the San Francisco 49ers and led them to a couple of NFC Championship games. According to ProSportsTransactions.com, Dick Nolan was traded from the Giants to the Cardinals before the 1958 season. He was then traded from the Cardinals to the Packers in August of 1959. After that, he was traded to the Giants about 10 days later. Lombardi explained what all that meant for rookie Bill Butler. He says, I'm going to cut you and the New York Giants are going to pick you up. And in two weeks, we are going to play an exhibition game in Bangor, Maine, and you're going to come back to our team. They're going to let you go, and I am going to go back to Green Bay. Now, the reason I did that was a rookie didn't count, so I didn't have any history in the National Football League. But the guy they were after... Sure enough, Bill soon found himself with the New York Giants. Tom Landry was an assistant coach with the Giants then, and that's important to remember later in the program. The season before, in 1958, the Giants played the Baltimore Colts in the NFL Championship game, often called the greatest game ever played. You can find firsthand accounts from that game by Upton Bell, son of NFL Commissioner Burt Bell, on the Game Before the Money podcast. That is in episode number 46. The Giants featured a host of players who were already legendary, including Frank Gifford, Andy Robustelli, and Charlie Connerly. It was quite the group, and it was really kind of mind-boggling when you are a rookie. The first night... When I was with the Giants, Frank Gifford come and says, you ever been to the Peppermint Lounge? And I says, what the hell is that? And he says, that's the new crave that's going on. And 
be interested in going with me and he says Chuck Connolly is going to go on a couple other guys Kyle wrote so he just hauled me down with him and I never been to a dance hall like that and they were bouncing all over and I don't know how much he had to pay but we had a table right by the stage I had a good time with the Giants I wouldn't have mind uh, staying there and playing they that was a good ball club. The Peppermint Lounge opened in 1958 and quickly became all the rage. Although it was only open for a few years, the club played a part in rock and roll history, often cited as one of the launching pads for the dance craze called The Twist. You may have heard the song The Peppermint Twist, which was a hit for the Peppermint Lounge's house band, Joey D and the Starlighters. On September 5th, 1959, the Green Bay Packers played a preseason game against the New York Giants in Bangor, Maine. Bill Butler started out the game wearing one jersey, and by the end of the game, he was back with the Packers. At halftime, I got out of the New York uniform and ended up in a Green Bay uniform. And I said, it's the only time I won it at halftime winning and walked out of the locker room and was losing. (laughs) And I don't think that's ever been done before and football sense and I don't think anybody really knows about it because you know who's looking who's changing clothes at halftime and I went back on the plane to Green Bay and we played our first league game and the second one I started playing New York Giants coach Jim Lee Howell and Packers coach Vince Lombardi sure paid attention to who changed clothes at halftime other than that The deal was a well-kept secret by the rookie from Tennessee, Chattanooga. Bill played an important role for the 1959 Packers. In fact, he led the NFL in combined punt and kickoff return yardage. He even scored a touchdown on a 61-yard punt return against the Bears at Wrigley Field. Bill had a couple of stories to share about that touchdown, both of them about what happened after the play occurred. I ran it back in the fourth quarter of a game against the Bears, and I ended up in a dugout because they had the baseball diamond down there, and they had it covered up with some sort of uh, real hard type of surface, like plywood or something, and your cleats would not get in it. And I skidded right into the dugout. The next day... We always looked at game films the day after the game, and Lombardi said, I suppose you're proud of yourself. You ran a punt back for a touchdown. I says, I can take it. I said, I'm glad I ran a punt back. I didn't know if I'd ever run one back. And he said, well, you better thank Forrest Gregg because you made the block he made almost impossible. And I looked at the film, and Forrest Gregg was 10 yards behind me and way to my right. He wasn't even in the damn play. And I learned right away that Lombardi would not say anything positive to most players about a good play. He always brought up what you did wrong, but he wasn't great on the compliments until later on in the year when we started really knocking people around. Then he got more complimentary. Vince Lombardi did have a feisty reputation, and he also hated losing. 
Although Butler's fourth quarter touchdown narrowed the Bears' lead, the Packers lost their fourth game in a row and dropped under the 500 mark. The 1959 Green Bay Packers landed on their feet, however, and finished 7-5. and five. Now remember, Vince Lombardi and Bill Butler were both rookies that year. Lombardi, a rookie head coach, and Butler, a rookie defensive back and returner. Butler even rushed the ball a few times that season. Although Butler had a fine first NFL season, 1959 was his only year for the Packers. That wasn't Vince Lombardi's choice either. An angry Lombardi called Butler into his office after Tom Landry selected Bill for the newly formed Dallas Cowboys in the expansion draft. Lombardi made a joking quip about how he shouldn't have trusted Landry in the first place and bid farewell to Butler. He says, he drafted you and he promised me he won. That's why I put you up because he swore he would not take you and that he would take these other players and he listed whoever the players were. And I said, well, my God, I played for him. You probably remember that Butler spent those two weeks with the New York Giants when Landry was an assistant coach there. Before 1959, Landry and Lombardi worked as assistants with the Giants. So when Coach Landry got the job in Dallas, he must have remembered Butler. During the 1960 preseason, Butler met the coach he eventually played for in Minnesota with the Vikings, Norm Van Brocklin, also known as the Flying Dutchman or Dutch to his friends. This is a really funny story about how Bill first met Van Brocklin, and it's going to come into play again later in the show. We played an exhibition game against the Eagles, but I was with the Cowboys then. And him and a guy named Bilski were big buddies, and they got drunk after an exhibition game. And I get up to go to the bathroom, and I look out the window, and I see this body laying on my lawn. And Bielski lives next door to me, so I went out there, and it was Dutch. And I said, what the hell are you doing sleeping on the lawn? And he says, oh, God, he says, I got to get back. Our plane is going back at 8 o'clock in the morning, and what time is it? And it was like 4 o'clock. So I got him up and dragged him out and got him back to the airport, and he didn't get in any trouble. 1960 was the first ever season for the Dallas Cowboys, and Bill played for the Cowboys in their first ever regular season game. The Cowboys lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers 35-28, to but Bill had a solid game. According to the official score sheet, he knocked down two Bobby Lane passes and had both a 60-yard kickoff return and a 30-yard missed field goal return. He also got in on eight tackles. 1960, however, was a rough year for the Cowboys. They finished without a win, 11 losses, and one tie. All in all, if you would take the original Dallas Cowboys their first year Compared to the NFL teams we played, we were about 50% of what they were. Butler made his first NFL interception in week three of the 1960 season against Washington. He said he should have gotten a couple more against his former team, the Green Bay Packers. Missing out on those picks also cost him a small bonus check. 
emphasis on small. I think I intercepted two balls there, Green Bay, and both times I intercepted them, we had a penalty holding or something in our defensive line, and they took them both away. And back in those days, we used to get $5 for every interception. Five bucks for every interception. That, again, is why this is called the game before the money. But the Cowboys were a brand new team in 1960 and under the wing of rookie head coach Tom Landry. Butler holds Landry in high regard. Landry is a very religious guy. I never heard the man cuss. He's got to have the most gorgeous wife and family you'd ever meet. Very religious. He dressed with a cap and a tie and a sport coat. That's the only way he coached, all dressed up. A real gentleman and really knew the game of football. Just an outstanding coach defensively. If you did what he said, you were unbeatable. The Cotton Bowl was not only home to the Dallas Cowboys, it was also home to the American Football League's Dallas Texans and the Southwest Conference's SMU Mustangs. College football was arguably the most popular sport in Texas in 1960, and the Southwest Conference reigned supreme. A combination of those factors landed Bill Butler in Coach Landry's office after the 1960 season. He was traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers despite having an excellent year with Dallas. To show you how my luck ran with Pro Bowls, I was told by the uh, paper in Dallas that I was the first Dallas Cowboy to go to the Pro Bowl. I got a call from Tom, and he called me in. He says, I have a problem. And he said, you know, with the Dallas Texans here in uh, Dallas and the Cowboys, they want to get as many players from the Southwest Conference as they can back to the Cowboys. Therefore, he says, I had a chance to get Dickie Magel from the Steelers. And I says, so what you saying? He says, I traded you to the Pittsburgh Steelers for Dickie Magel. And he says, that's ownership. That's not me. And he was really honest with me. I knew him when he was with the Giants. I played for him and I had met him and I don't blame him. I knew what they were in for, and we were drawing about 20,000 people a game, and the Dallas Texans were doing the same, and you can't survive in a cotton bowl with 20,000 people. Dickie Magel was a very popular player in Texas after he starred for the Rice Owls of the Southwest Conference. In 1961, Butler played for the Steelers, his third team in three years. Fourth, if you count his two weeks with the Giants. He nabbed his first interception return for a touchdown against his former team, the Dallas Cowboys, off of Don Meredith that season. And I ran it back 71 yards for a touchdown, and I could tell when he came out of the huddle what he was going to do. He looked at the man he was going to throw to all the time. Oh, before the play he would look at him? Oh, yeah. It was just a little swing route, and I picked the ball off, and there wasn't a soul in front of me. It's the longest run I ever ran in my life. 
and I didn't think I'd ever get to the end zone. Playing in the NFL and returning an interception for a touchdown is a dream come true for a lot of kids. But playing in the NFL, especially in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, required a degree of toughness that a lot of us can't imagine. Bill Butler portrayed that sort of toughness with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1961. Butler suffered a broken shoulder on a safety blitz when his teammate Gene Big Daddy Lipscomb fell on him. Butler played several games with that broken shoulder. I played with a broken shoulder till I think there was two games to go in the year and the doctor made me call it quits for that year. So you broke your shoulder during a game and you, and you kept playing? Yeah, I played four games with a broken shoulder. Did they, uh, what, did they tape it up or, or give you shots for it? or? Uh, I developed a pad for it where I could keep the hitting off of my shoulder pads and never touch my shoulder. There was a little brace in there, and I hit with the other shoulder. And when you say you developed it, did you did you create it on your own, or did you work with the team? Or? No. The trainer and I had told him what I wanted, and we both kind of destroyed a pair of shoulder pads, but we bridged it so it would basically rest on my chest and not take the hit directly to the top of it, the top of your shoulder, and then I used the other shoulder. Butler says you can see the effects of that broken shoulder to this day. The bone right now at my age comes up towards my ear. It sticks up about a good two inches. You can grab onto it. It's a great big knob. And that's all calcified and it's the bone grew back into, I guess, my collarbone. And that's just the way it is. Butler returned home for the offseason and a doctor told him that he needed surgery and that he'd never play football again. Instead, Bill refused surgery and created his own rehabilitation plan. He still thought about leaving pro football because, although he thought highly of the Rooney family, he didn't like the direction the team was headed and didn't enjoy living in Pittsburgh. That's when he got a call from his old friend Norm Van Brocklin, who is now head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Remember how Bill drove him to the airport that one time? Well, Van Brocklin sure did. He traded for me. He called me up and he says, I traded Schnelker and Dick Haley for you to get you out of the Steeler camp because I understand you don't like Pittsburgh. And he says, I owe you anyway for picking me up and getting me off of your damn lawn. That's how I ended up with the Vikings. The trade paid off for Minnesota. Butler set a personal record with five interceptions that season. He ran one of those back for a touchdown against Rams quarterback Zeke Brakowski. It's a pretty funny story, one that involves knowing that Bill played against Rams receiver Red Phillips in college. That experience led Butler to guessing what the play call was. Zeke Burkowski was quarterback of the Rams back then, and a guy playing a split receiver for Los Angeles was a, a guy, and he played at Auburn, and I played against him in college. And 
I knew the route he would probably try to run. Zeke was quarterback in the Rams, and the minute the ball was snapped, I hollered Zeke, and he turned and threw the damn ball out straight at me. And I just picked it off and ran it all the way in for a touchdown. He was traded to Green Bay shortly thereafter, and I would talk to him every so often, and he'd say, yeah, I gave you a promotion when I threw that ball to you, and like you knew what you were doing. And I says, hey, all I hollered was Zeke. You're the one that threw it to me. I think he thought it was red. It was funny, when that ball come floating out towards me, I couldn't believe it. Talk about disguising your pass coverage. Make the quarterback think that you're the receiver. Butler also played an important role on special teams during his three years with the Vikings. He led the NFL in combined number of punt and kick returns in 1963. Butler also carried the ball a few times for Minnesota. He had 22 rushing attempts over those three seasons, according to Pro Football Reference. He also notched five receptions including a 58-yard pass against the Lions in October of 1964. He also had an interception in that game. Talk about an all-around player. Bill even had two punt returns, two kickoff returns, and two rushing attempts in that game. I'm going to shift now to something that's very unique about Butler's time in Minnesota. And this story shows how different things were back then but it will also give you some details on the current NFL. The story has to do with Butler's uniform. Most of the NFL and college uniforms made today are still made in the United States by the same company as they were in the 1960s. They are made by a company called Rippin Athletic, which is located in Berlin, Wisconsin, Bill Butler's hometown. That company used to be known as Sandnet, and they made practically all of the NFL uniforms for a long time, including when Bill Butler played. Can you guess who worked at the factory sewing the uniforms? Bill Butler's mom. Listen to these two stories he's about to tell. I got a picture here of my mother and Bart Starr and a guy named Miller who are at Sands Knitting Mills Bart Starr happened to be on the board of directors of Sands Knitting Mills also. And they were looking at some upgrades to the Packers uniform, and they were talking to my mother about it. Wow, and your mother used to make your uniforms, too? Yeah. I'll tell you something that's amazing. When I was with the Vikings, she would write me a note and stick it in the side pad pocket of my football pants, and Stubby Easton, our equipment manager, used to holler, hey, our letter is here this year. And he'd get the letter from my mother and read it before me. But she sent me a letter in the right-hand pocket of my football pants every year. There are a lot of stories on the Game Before the Money podcast about things that would never happen today, and that is certainly one of them. Bill and his wife sent me a recent photo of himself at the Ripon Athletics facility, and I will post that on thegamebeforethemoney.com, along with a football biography page about Bill Butler. Butler helped make NFL history in that Minnesota Vikings uniform 
1964. Most of you are probably familiar with the Jim Marshall fumble return when he ran the ball the wrong way for a safety, thinking that he had scored a touchdown. Bill Butler played a pretty big role in that play that involved Billy Kilmer getting hit and fumbling the ball. I asked Butler to share his memory of the play with us. Would you please go over your memory of the of that play? Sure. I can tell you verbatim. I'm sure that I hit Billy. Now, I don't know if I was responsible for him fumbling the ball, but Billy sent me an autographed picture of himself. I said, what the hell do you send that for? And he said, because we made history together. The thing that doesn't show in the film is Jim was sweeping around on his pass rush, and he got knocked up in the air, and he come down, he went head over heels, and he come down pointing in a different direction, and he didn't know it. When the ball was fumbled, it rolled, and Jim picked it up, and he thought he was still going north, and he was going south. So he scooped it up, and he started running. And everybody, you know, I looked at him, and I thought, what the hell is he doing? Going to loop back and make a circle, or he just kept going. 1964 was Butler's final season with the Vikings and his last year in the NFL. He told me about a conversation he had with Vikings head coach Norm Van Brocklin about his future. He came to me and said, they want you with the Rams. And he says, the ownership here wants to get some younger talent in. And I was going to be 30. And I had told them, guys, that at 30, I was done. I said, I'm not going to play and walk out of here on a cane. And he said, I can make a trade, or he says, I'm going to have to release you. And I said, well, why don't I just kind of semi-retire and you just give me a waiver? The conversation wasn't quite finished, however. Van Brocklin had one more thing to add. And he says, all right, what do you want? Just a release? And I says, yeah, that's fine. And he says, by the way, Eagle Keys called and asked if there was any American backs that are going to be released. Eagle Keys was the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders of the Canadian Football League. He was also good friends with Scrappy Moore. Bill's college coach at Chattanooga. Former Michigan State star running back Sherman Lewis suffered a broken leg and Keyes needed a player to fill in for the rest of the 1965 season, which was already underway in the CFL. Van Brocklin gave Butler Eagle Keyes' phone number. So I got on the phone and he says, Dutch says that you're capable of playing, yet he says, would you be willing to finish out a year? I'm not too choosy now. I just got to get an American back. And I said, yeah, I'll come. But I said, it's going to cost you. And he says, what? And I said, what's the highest you can go? And you got to remember back then, I was making probably 10 grand. He said, 26,000. I said, I'll be there. Pretty good negotiation skills there on Bill Butler's end. Also, a nice tip 
that Van Brocklin happened to give Bill Butler. That wasn't the only job opening tip that Van Brocklin gave to Bill Butler. After Butler's playing days were over, he paid a visit to the Vikings' offices. Norm Van Brocklin just happened to be in there in the midst of some changes. I happened to be coming through Minneapolis that day, and I went in to see Patty. She was the girl in the Viking office that every time I wanted pictures or something special, I went to her and she would get it for me. And I stopped in and Van Brocklin was there and I said, what the hell are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be coaching? He says, I got fired. And he says, by the way, are you interested in coaching professionally? And I says, I don't know why. And he says, there's a job open. He says, Bud Grant is going to be named the head coach of the Vikings this week. There's going to be a spot at Winnipeg and they want an American player that played professional football and has some Canadian experience and I had played in Canada too so I said I'll give him a call but we'll see what happens. Bill worked as an assistant coach at Winnipeg for a couple of seasons. Later he served as a high school football coach at Ripon High School in Wisconsin and the team won WIAA state championships. He also helped coach track, and Bill coached some very successful track athletes as well. Bill also worked for the Pittsburgh Steelers as a scout for a period of time. A few years ago, he donated a 1959 Team Blazer to the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. Those were sports coats that Vince Lombardi ordered for the team. Butler also donated a Packers basketball uniform. Players from NFL teams often played basketball in charity events. I will post a bit more about that on thegamebeforethemoney.com in the future, as well as a Bill Butler biography page. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. Special thanks to Bill Butler for interviewing for this episode, and also special thanks to his wife, Debbie. Future episodes of the podcast will include stories from Seahawks legend Sean Alexander and Steelers Hall of Famer Jack Hamm. Transcriptions of some episodes are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com and are powered by our transcription partner Sonics, spelled S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonics.ai to learn more about their automated transcription services. 